in five minutes, my life changed completely. What I did that day, I went to work, but I broke down. I mean, I literally cried all day. And I remember saying, I don't want to die. I'm not ready to die. And when I went home to my own apartment that night, I sat at the bottom of the staircase and just cried like I'd never cried before. And I think somehow in my head, I thought, okay, you either sit in this corner and give up or you go on. And um, my voice is quivering. Um, and I made the decision that if I was allowed to, I would go on. Christopher was diagnosed with AIDS in 1994. He's my friend. Christopher worked as a childcare practitioner, both in Chicago and in the UK, before retraining as a dispensing optician. AIDS is caused by the HIV virus, which damages cells in the immune system and weakens the ability to fight infections. An AIDS diagnosis indicates that the immune system has been severely damaged by the HIV virus. HIV cannot survive outside of the body and is transmitted through bodily fluids. The most common way of acquiring the virus is by having unprotected sex. There's no cure for HIV, but there are effective treatments. With access to the right medicine, a diagnosis has gone from a death sentence in the 1980s to a manageable chronic condition today. I'm Dr. Yella Hewings-Martin, Research Editor for Medical News Today, and I'm asking, how has living with HIV AIDS changed? And what does the future hold? Will we ever eradicate this devastating virus? I just began to notice that I was, I didn't really notice I was losing weight, but I was having trouble keeping my trousers up, which was a lot of weight but I just thought, well, I'm slim. And not that I've ever been overweight, but it was good. Then it wasn't so good because it just got worse and worse. Then I got something called oral thrush. And um, I finally went to my local GP and I said, I need something for this in my mouth. And he gave me something, it worked. And then after it finished, it didn't, it came back again. And so he said, have you been for an HIV test? And I said, no, never, because I haven't had a sexual partner for 10 years. And he said, well, still go. So I went and I had to pick up the test results two weeks after I'd had the test. And I was on my way to work and I stopped at the hospital, parked the car, ran in, and um, they told me the news, which was I had AIDS, not HIV. And I... The feelings are indescribable. I, I, I just knew I was going to die. And I just saw all my other friends I'd known die. And I thought, okay, then I'm not ready to die. And I had to go to work. So it was a really tough moment. Oh, Christopher, do you ever look back and think, if only? If only is not a place I'd like to go to. But I think I would have been just more careful than I was. And that's all I can say because this is not a disease about promiscuity. Contrary to belief, homosexuals are not all promiscuous. It only takes one person to pass it on. 
hearing Christopher's story, I think his point about promiscuity is so important. Robert Garofalo is a doctor and professor of pediatrics at Northwestern University in Chicago. His day job at the Lurie Children's Hospital includes treating adolescents with HIV. Rob received his own HIV diagnosis in 2010. My diagnosis came in a different era, and my diagnosis is somewhat difficult for me to talk about because I believe that I became infected after a pretty brutal um, physical and sexual assault that's often hard for me to talk about. And so I think, um, you know, but it was equally as devastating and incredibly difficult. About six weeks after my assault, I, I felt very sick and had prolonged fevers. And all of a sudden, I remember being in clinic caring for young people with HIV. And I thought, oh my God, like maybe this is HIV. And I um, ran up to my office and I closed the door and I closed the lights and I self-administered an oral test for HIV and just sat and cried in my office when the test came back as positive. Uh, it's still difficult. Um, you know, I lived in a self-imposed isolation. I didn't share that news with many people. I was afraid of who to tell. And in hindsight, even when I told my mother, my family, my brother, my friends, I mean, universally, I was fortunate. You know, like I was fortunate to have support. And I had great health insurance. I had a great job. I had a partner at the time and it still sucked. It was the worst thing ever. You know, I don't want to minimize the impact of the diagnosis, regardless of what era it occurs in. Do you think that the perception of being HIV positive has changed over time? I believe that a lot of gay men in the 80s blamed themselves. And that was a really tough thing to live with. Uh, we all did. Well, I for one blame myself. And that was hard to get over because it isn't your fault. It's just living your life. Yeah, I mean, I even maybe 15, 20 years later, I still blamed myself, even though I was the victim of an assault. And it's one of the reasons that I actually really don't like talking about my assault within the context of acquiring my HIV diagnosis. Because if I say, oh, well, I believe I acquired HIV because I was the victim of an assault, a lot of people will be like, oh, they'll feel badly for me, or oh, well, then you didn't do anything wrong. And I hate that because none of us did anything wrong. This isn't an illness that affects or infects bad people who have done bad things. This is an infectious agent or disease that has affected large swaths of a community for just being who they are and, and living their lives. And far too many of us became infected with HIV. But it's not about blame. It shouldn't be about guilt. It shouldn't be about shame. None of those things help. Those are destructive. And so I will fight to my dying day to try to remove those elements from anybody else who is grappling with this disease or diagnosis. Christopher, how did the illness affect you? I got very, very sick. I got pneumocystis pneumonia and I was in hospital for three months and I nearly died and had trouble walking and my brain told me to turn left all the time. So I, they thought it had gone into my brain, which it hadn't. But they told me I had a 40% chance of survival. So here I am. And that must have been down to the treatment that you were given. 
I think what happened was when the combination therapy came out, it changed the whole perspective of the disease because it began to be something you didn't die from. And of course, it progressed to what it is now, which is, I can only say, is akin to having diabetes, which is a wonderful thing, speaking personally and for everyone else. However, the flip side of that is that just as I was diagnosed and put on the first medication, the antiretroviral combination drugs just came out. And I got the first ones, which I have to tell you were hideous because they made you feel very sick. You had to struggle to keep them down. And of course, if you didn't keep them down, you weren't taking the medication. So that was very hard. The medication was terribly hard. I was in hospital all the time being monitored and blocked, etc. The antiretroviral drugs that Christopher was given work by stopping the virus from replicating. This allows the immune system to repair itself and restore its ability to fight infections. A combination of drugs is used to prevent the HIV virus from adapting and becoming resistant. Rob, have the drugs changed? And what's the reality for you now? So first of all, I want to acknowledge that Christopher is correct. I mean, back then I was prescribing HIV to patients. I wasn't taking it myself. And it was horrible. I mean, I was asking patients to take what felt like poison to them. They were intolerable. They would often have god-awful side effects like diarrhea to the point of not being able to like leave the house to go to dinner. It was devastating. And I would have patients that would beg me to change their medications and there weren't any. And so that is an element of survivorship that I really just want to acknowledge and Christopher and people like him. For me, taking HIV medications has always been relatively simple. For the past 10 years or more, there have been one pill, once daily regimens that for the most part have very few side effects and are well tolerated. I mean, I'm not going to say they don't have any. I've actually experienced very few side effects, but some people still can't tolerate the medication, but it's relatively rare. And I think one of the nice things, and I'm sure Christopher can speak to this having gone through his journey, is now there is just a range of medications. Like if one doesn't work, there's another one that we can use. And if that doesn't work, there's yet a third and a fourth and a fifth. So there are so many options now because the technology and the commitment to develop these medications has been really good. If you can get medications or get treatment, the life expectancy for living with HIV is you know, no different than anybody else. And in fact, in many ways, I think the medications are easier to manage than some other chronic conditions like sickle cell disease or diabetes. And so it's really a miracle that the treatments have advanced so far. It's not an easy road. You have to comply. I mean, it's not like if you go away from vacation, you can take a vacation from the pills. And I hear that from my doctor a lot. Some people just think, oh, I'm on vacation, I don't need to take my pills. Of course, when you don't take your pills, the thing kicks back in and you can't go back on the pills you were on. There are only so many rolls of the dice. So it's still tricky. So compliance for me is everything. I have never missed a dose of medication in 23 years. If that's what gratitude is, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I too am very vigilant about taking my medication. If you don't mind me asking... From a personal level, what are the things that have really helped you through this difficult time? I found solace and peace in connection, connection to my family and friends who, thank God, were supportive, 
I adopted a dog. My dog, Fred, quite literally saved my life at a moment when I really was not sure whether I would live to see another day. But that dog was a source of like positive energy and a source of connection and support at a time when unconditional love was, I felt, elusive. And at the core for me was actually finding purpose in my HIV diagnosis. So I decided to start a charity with my dog, which was really a crazy idea, but that raises money for teenagers that are infected with HIV. And in that move of a crazy idea of using my dog and social media came a sense of purpose. And I took back control. Chris, I have a book coming out called When Dogs Heal about people living with HIV and the power of their dogs. <laughs> okay. Yella did send me that link. Maybe I'll get it for Christmas. <laughs> But for me, finding purpose and working towards that purpose has been really important in terms of me surviving and living my best life with HIV. And in many ways, now I see my HIV positive diagnosis as a blessing. I think it's made me a better physician. In many ways, it's made me a better person. My HIV diagnosis was a life lesson to be authentic and honest. Christopher? What's your Fred equivalent? I think my Fred equivalent was the support I had from all my friends. And it meant a lot to me because there was a sense I had one day of seeing two friends of mine walk ahead of me. And I was walking behind because I'm a slow walker and I was very slow then. And I just felt dirty and it wasn't a feeling I enjoyed. And I needed to get over that feeling. And I ended up training to become a counselor at Childline. And for me, that was my friend. Uh, because children have always been incredibly important in my life, because my childhood was so awful that I never wanted a child to have anything but a good, happy life. And so I couldn't work anymore, but I could devote three afternoons a week to telephone counseling for children in crisis. That's a really beautiful story. And people like Christopher are the heroes in this disease who were diagnosed at a much different time than I and are still living their best life and surviving and finding their own purpose. The fact that Christopher found solace and support in volunteering and doing work with children is really a beautiful testament to the empathy that I think a lot of people with HIV have towards their fellow man and other people. I think if I could say something to my younger self, it would really be to implore myself to kind of have the same compassion and kindness towards myself that I always found so easy to offer others when I was dealing with people that were infected with HIV. It came so naturally to me as a pediatrician, as a provider, and yet when it came to offering myself that same degree of kindness, I really struggled. We've made big strides in dealing with HIV, but have they been big enough? Rob, maybe you can explain what it's like now to be diagnosed with HIV. If someone tests positive, it still remains an incredibly devastating diagnosis and illness. If you can get medications or get treatment, you know, the life expectancy for living with HIV is no different than anybody else. And so short of taking this one pill every day, they're out playing soccer and they're in college and they're working and they're living their lives and 
they often aren't consumed with or thinking about their HIV in a way that is all-consuming or off-putting. And what do you tell your younger patients if they're feeling anxious about it? I talk to my patients about they should make sure they have retirement plans and, you know, should be planning on living happy and fulfilling lives. I don't want to be naive enough to think that there still isn't stigma related to an HIV diagnosis. It has just changed and evolved over time, but it still persists. We've talked about the antiretroviral drugs in treating the condition, but there's now a preventative method called PrEP, which can be taken to reduce the risk of getting HIV in the first place whenever you're exposed to the virus. Rob, can you tell me about this? Yeah, so PrEP is called pre-exposure prophylaxis, and it is taking, in this case, at least right now, a daily oral medication, much in the way like a young woman might take a birth control pill to prevent pregnancy. In this case, regardless of the timing or the frequency or the number of sexual exposures, a person could take a daily oral medication to prevent the acquisition of HIV. It's incredibly effective if taken consistently. There are now studies ongoing on long-acting PrEP preparations like injectable agents, which I think may further advance the field and change the dynamic to make it even more bright. But we know that if we can roll out PrEP effectively, that we can reduce the incidence of HIV in communities and in populations at risk. I'm optimistic that we will get to zero in my lifetime, and that's amazing. So there are plenty of hopeful messages for the future? I mean, it's funny. I do think that we still have a lot of inroads to make in other parts of the world. I'm doing this project right now in Nigeria with young gay men and the amount of stigma and fear that they live under as gay men and as people impacted by HIV is almost indescribable in comparison to what I might have experienced here in the U.S. Both Christopher and I are also pretty much men of privilege or white cisgender men. And this disease too often affects populations that don't have the same privilege that Christopher and I share. So there are a lot of co-occurring epidemics around HIV, around homelessness and violence and poverty. And so there are still so many sort of cultural contexts that are important. But am I optimistic about the future? Sure, because I really believe that this is a disease and an illness that we can eradicate. Christopher, what do you think are the next steps? Could HIV be eradicated? It's a huge, huge task. It may be eradicated in the Western world in the next 10 to 15 years, but let's hope it's a, a global thing. It depends how important the powers that be deem it to be. Because if you look at this coronavirus that we're living through now, the tests have been rushed through and we're almost at vaccine time. That's amazing. So yes, I'm optimistic. Christopher, Rob, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for inviting me. You can read more on our HIV AIDS Hub about how our advances in medicine have turned HIV from a death sentence to a chronic illness. That's at medicalnewstoday.com. I'm Dr. Yella Hewings-Martin. This is a high-vis radio production for Medical News Today.